We're going to look this morning at the keys to rekindling our passion. Eleven years ago, a study was made, and at the end of 2011, seven in ten Americans had strong beliefs that the country was going in the wrong direction. You can imagine what it is right now. But that is not our biggest problem. The problem that we are all very much aware of across our land and internationally comes from the unbelief and weaknesses in genuine Bible-believing churches. Frankly, the unbelief today, could I use the word appalling, uh, is probably the right word to use. Unfortunately, God's people are as distraught as a society about the country going the wrong direction, but not necessarily for the right reasons. And I believe that it is because we are not really meeting with our God and understanding what God can do. If you went back to the 1700s in the British Empire, you would have seen it as a very dark day. They had had some real moves of God in previous years, but it was a dark country in many ways. In fact, when John Wesley and George Whitfield began to really get going for God after they came to know Christ in a genuine personal way and God began to stir their hearts, uh, they faced huge opposition. The entire culture was opposed to what they were doing and certainly the established uh, Christianity, quote unquote, at that time was opposed to them. But being denied the privilege of preaching from a pulpit in the Uh, church, John Wesley, with strong evangelistic fervor, stood on his father's tomb and preached the gospel. Began to preach to multitudes in the most unique places and at great threat to his own life. But as a result, God began to mightily work all across England. George Whitfield was the same way. God had put a holy passion into him. He loved preaching. He loved preaching out in the fields. He would literally preach to thousands, 10,000 people. He had a tremendous voice and the power of God was on him. And one day as he finished a very wearisome tour of preaching, just to show you this man's heart, he lit a candle, went upstairs to retire in the home where he was staying and was ready to go to bed. But people by the hundreds were gathering around the house and filled the street And there on the stairway, he took the lighted candle, went back down, and preached the gospel powerfully, and went upstairs and died. To the very last breath, the gospel was on his lips. And folks, honestly, one of the key reasons that America has been a Christian nation was what happened in Great Britain during the mighty revivals in the 1700s. France went one way with the French Revolution. England went another way. But it happened because truth was proclaimed and because God's people knew how to pray. And so, as we see dark days, folks, we must not think that this is the only time that has ever happened. We are facing a great opportunity to let God work. 
And so in the passage we're going to look at today, I believe are just some very obvious but very important perspectives on what God can do in a, re in a region. Colossians chapter 4, please, if you would turn there with me. Colossians chapter 4, we're going to look at one man that I have looked at several times here, a man that God mightily used named Epaphras. Uh, during the Apostle Paul's long for him stay in Ephesus um, on his third missionary journey, he was there for three years, uh, it states there in the book of Acts that all of Asia heard the word. That's what is modern day Turkey. All across that very important land the gospel had gone forth very powerfully because of his ministry within Asia, but I think a lot of it was coming out of the church there at Ephesus. And it was during this time that the, the uh, cities in the Lysus Valley, right in the center part of Asia Minor, uh, were reached. That was Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And in this valley there was a man that God had used that was evidently saved uh, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul while he was in Ephesus and had gone out and had begun uh, to just proclaim the truth. And all three of those cities uh, uh, had churches because of his ministry. And Epaphras was so concerned for the church at Colossae in particular, that must have been where he was focused, that he takes a 1,000 to 1,300 mile trip back in those days, uh, all the way through the Roman Empire, to come to Paul in prison because he wanted an authoritative word from the Apostle Paul concerning the heresy that were coming into that region. And so we have a classic book written by the Spirit of God through Paul that addresses things that we see today. There's nothing new under the sun. And I think the Lord allowed a lot of things to happen in the first century so we would have all the truth that we needed to combat Satan's error uh, in these days. And so uh, this is uh, the situation that Paul refers to if you'll look here at chapter 4 verse 12. Epaphras who is one of you a servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Heropolis. That word zeal, passion, and excitement of mind, ardor, fervent of spirit, uh, pursuing, defending, longing for it. It has, it has uh, uh, intensity all about it. And folks, let me just say that people that do anything that really counts in life get passionate about what they're doing. That's definitely on the human realm. You've got to be passionate to sacrifice. You've got to be passionate to give of yourselves and to focus on what needs to be done. But in the spiritual realm, you can't just work up passion or zeal. It is a work of the Spirit of God to create in us thinking and, uh, and determination for others even that we do not know. And that kind of heart is only from God's divine working. But I'm telling you, just like in the human realm, when you get excited about meeting with God, you get excited about the work of God, everything changes. 
In fact, you'll find that serving the Lord becomes just the joy of your life. As I've often said, folks, you ha we all have to step out of a duty mindset into a liberty mindset because we get to serve the Lord. We have the privilege of serving the Lord. We have the opportunity of doing that which will last for eternity. We have meaning for our lives that the world is desperately looking for. And in this day, desperately needed. So three things here this morning I want us to look at. First of all, surrender to this cause that will allow us to have this zeal, to have this passion. Going back to verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, he identified with the need. Now, he was from Colossae, uh, very clearly, when it's said here, uh, and back also in chapter 1. But I think there's even a little bit deeper idea here. He was just one of them. One of them. Folks, we get this idea that there are just a few people that can be great Christians. That is a lie from Satan. He has used that over and over to keep people thinking, well, I'm just a layman. I only have a few things I can do for God. That is looking at yourself humanly and forgetting that the spirit of the living God indwells you. Here is this man that no one would have probably suspected when he lived in Colossae that he was going to have this kind of dramatic ministry. But when he comes back after being saved and being discipled by the Apostle Paul and the heart of God was now beating in his heart and he had a passion for the work of God, that aroused uh, a lot of attention. And so we've got to understand that any of us we're just one of them. You're a Wisconsinite. Cheeseheads can serve the Lord. Did you know that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, that's hard to believe. Buckeyes can serve the Lord. That's even harder to believe. Uh, <laughs> uh, I won't go any further. I'll be in trouble in the Big Ten here if I keep moving. Uh, I went from professional to, to Big Ten. But anyway, uh, but God can use anybody. In fact, folks, get this. The more we're just normal people, the more when God does an extraordinary thing, he gets the glory. If you say, well, I just don't have much to offer. You're the perfect candidate to glorify God. I mean, people all look at you after a couple of years and say, what happened to that lady? What happened to that man? That is amazing. Look at what God's doing. That it just uh, that glorifies the Lord more than anything else. And one of the things that's going to make the difference, folks, is the matter of praying. And we're going to see this here. Uh, he is always laboring fervently for them in prayer. Don't think prayer is just for special people. Don't think that some people have the gift of prayer. We all have the privilege of going into the presence of God. Matthew 26, 40 always stirs me. We've used this when we talked about the hour with God. When the Lord was suffering there in the garden, he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Folks, how much do we value our relationship to the Lord? 
You see, if you're just going to live a human life and just see your salvation as something that's doctrinally wonderful and you have just a basic idea of who Christ is, you're going to just live the typical life. But if you can understand that God wants every one of us to fellowship with Him, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed. By the way, that'll really help you through difficult times. And though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, Psalm 46:10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Listen, folks, when you spend enough time in the Word and in prayer and God spiritually meets with you, your perspective on what can be accomplished, what God wants to accomplish, what you can accomplish dramatically changes. Because no more are you looking in at yourself humanly. You are now looking at God, at what He has said about Himself in the Word of God. He underscores that in your heart, and you begin to develop a confidence that is not the normal perspective. If you struggle with unbelief, and you feel so weak, and you feel overrun, folks, it's because you aren't taking the time that God so desires for you to have with Him. You know, every minute of the day, YouTube has 48 hours of new video downloaded. And uh, every minute, there are 200 million email messages. Social media is just off the charts, near a million pieces of content every minute. Twitter publishes over 27 thousand, almost 28,000 new posts, and on and on I could go. Tim Chester that wrote a great book about cell phone usage and the technology said, the problem is not just quantity of, qual a quantity of time, but the constant interruption. And he went on to talk about how social media and everything is the greatest distraction from the most important things of life. May I submit to you folks what I'm talking about that could occur in our day, there is enough time for it. You can walk with God. But that's why we're giving several weeks here, and I trust you're meeting with God and you're already doing it, but if the thought of spending an hour with God just seems so impossible, I want you to really sit down and think about what is really important and look at your schedule and what interrupts you. And I promise you, I promise you, you will find the time if you would. What we really love to do, we do. We make time for it. We plan for it. Don't you think that uh, meeting with the King of Heaven ought to be number one. Now, folks, we all know this. Every one of you would agree with me. But there has to be some very deep decisions made in our heart that we are not going to live the human life. Folks, we don't want to go through this period of time and just survive. We don't want to just have a normal life. Even that will be good in these days ahead. What we want is an eternally productive, powerful life in which Jesus is able to do his divine work through us. And let me just say very straightforwardly, we need to be broken over our defeat in this area. How many ruined lives and 
millions who are in hell now are there because of the churches in America not praying over the last few years. That's not an idea, that's reality. Folks, you're sitting here because somebody prayed. We're here today because somebody prayed. I'm telling you the most powerful thing on earth is prayer. God answers prayer. God will work. Our faith needs to be strengthened. Without faith you cannot please God. And you will not have faith unless you take time with Him. Oh, how we need to do that. E.M. Bounds, who wrote so much about prayer, said, Men of the world imagine prayer to be too impotent a thing to come into rivalry with business and worldly practices. Against such a misleading uh, doctrine, Paul sets the whole commands of God, the loyalty to Jesus Christ, the claims of pious character, and the demands of the salvation of the world. Men must pray and put strength and heart into their praying. This is, uh, this is part of the primary business of life, and to it, to it God has called men first of all. Andrew Murray as uh, entering into the 20th century, was deeply burdened that the world needed to be reached in this new section of time. And in his book, The Key to the Missionary Problem, writes, lack of prayer is another symptom of this sickly state. A worldly spirit in the Christian hinders his praying much. He looks at things in light of the world. He is not at home in the heavenly places. He does not realize the dark power of sin in those around him or the urgent need of a divine interposition. He has little faith in the efficacy of prayer, in the need of much and unceasing prayer, in the power there is to, in him to pray in Christ's name and prevail. True beneficence, the giving from devotion to Christ and for him and true prayer, the asking and counting upon him to bless the gift and bestow his spirit in his work are the proof that the worldly spirit is being overcome and that the soul is being restored to spiritual health. If the church is to be what she ought to be and to do what her Lord asked her to do for the evangelization of the world, this sickness and failure must be acknowledged and deliverance sought. Strong words, aren't they? But they're true. I didn't start with outreach, you notice. I didn't start two weeks ago with outreach. I started with prayer. You meet with God I mean, you really meet with God. You're going to be out reaching people. You have to when you meet with Jesus. You just have to. And you'll believe God can do it. So that means we need to sacrifice to meet the need. It's very interesting. You look back at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. It's that strong word, doulos, a slave, a bondman. It's the most uh, graphic of all the words about a slave. And this terminology, servant of Christ, is only used of Paul and of Timothy and of Epaphras. Wow, <laughs> he got put into a pretty good group there, didn't he? That was how this normal guy was viewed by the Apostle Paul in prison, a true servant of Christ. This man was completely, fully surrendered to the Lord. Therefore, he could labor fervently in prayer. Therefore, he could give of himself and agonize because he 
was a true servant of the Lord. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.1, called to be an apostle. There you have it. And this is used of Epaphras. Let me just say, folks, it could be used of you and me if we would. Wouldn't it be wonderful in the courts of heaven for us to have that terminology put on our name, your name, a servant of Jesus Christ. There's no greater honor in the world than to be someone totally, completely under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A person who each day is living with the reality of the presence of Christ and following the orders of Christ depending upon him for power. That's living, folks. And that is what is important. A servant of Christ. You see, Jesus, that wonderful passage about having that same mind, Philippians 2.7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. There it is. And was made in the likeness of men. So folks, if we're going to see God work in these days, we've got to admit our perilousness and, and, and realize we can't go anywhere. I'm afraid we're... we're a, Back some years back, there was this game called uh, How Far. Uh, uh, young people would fill, uh, have so much gas in their tank and see how far they could go before it ran out and see if they could make it to the gas station just in time. Dumb game. Okay, by the way, there's no need to play it. But, um, of course, some of you do without it being a game. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> Some of you ladies, I wonder, do you ever look at the gauge? Uh, of course, maybe it's the man in your home. But anyway, we won't we'll, we'll go there. Uh, but you know what about our spiritual tank? We try to see how far we can go before destruction. Folks, you can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. So we need to surrender so precious, my dear grandmother, love the writings of Andrew Murray. And as a present to me as a young teenager, she gave me that wonderful little book that's very, very poignant, Absolute Surrender. And Andrew Murray tells of where he got that expression. In Scotland, I was in a company where we were talking about the condition of Christ's church and what the great need of the church and of believers is. And there was in our company one who has much to do in training Christian workers. And I asked him uh, what he would say was the great need of the church. He answered simply and determinately, absolute surrender to God is the one thing. The word struck me as never before. He went on to explain that that was the key for those workers who would go on in great power and those who would, know, uh, would not. Number one key, sacrifice for the Lord. Simple, you've heard many messages. But folks, it's not God's fault we don't have power. God's waiting, ready. But it's very difficult. We are so self-willed. Are we willing to sacrifice to meet the need? Second key leads right into intercede for the cause. I've already gotten into some of that. But let me just add here, looking back at verse 12. Always laboring fervent for you in prayers. That laboring 
earnestly is the word from you can transliterate agonize. It has the idea of grueling competition of athletes in a game. It's sometimes translated fight. I mean, this was a serious matter. He was in spiritual warfare interceding for the people of Closet. Listen, you don't walk a, a thousand miles for nothing. He had come to be with the Apostle Paul because of his deep burden. He didn't want to see one of those people hurt. And he wanted to see the work of God go forward. And so he was very much interceding. 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Uh, Romans 15.30, speaking out, striving together in prayers to God for me. Spurgeon said very clearly, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. You can talk about, well, that's a mature Christian. You can talk about all different ways that you want to talk about godliness. But folks, if there is not an intensity in prayer, you've got to be careful. And of course, we're just simply what we are by the grace of God. We must allow God to put his love in our hearts. I'm going to quote a verse we could all quote. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we need to be willing to bear the spiritual battle. We need to allow God to get our heart very much in tune with what he's burdened about. Folks, people can be saved today if we would pray. Communities can be reached if we would pray. Your family, the barriers there in reaching them with the gospel can be broken down if we would pray. But oftentimes the reason we do not pray is that we need victory ourselves. We have victory in Christ. Christ is in us. We are no longer the old man. We are a new creation. If we yield to the Lord, we have the Spirit of God enabling our new man in us to overcome the evil. It's not equal, folks. It's not a matter of just endeavoring to try to live the Christian life. We can have victory on a regular basis if we will allow the great work that's already been accomplished uh, to uh, be lived out in our life. You fill a helium balloon. You see them with a, a, a balloon vendor and uh, they can be held down. But what happens if you let go? Away they go. And you see the counteracting of the helium uh, gas there allows gravity to be overcome and it can sail. And folks, if we would let go of our own selfish tendencies and our own self-will, what Christ has accomplished in us can then uh, overcome the big needs in our lives. We're not here to preach about that, but folks, to be able to wrestle. Like Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now that wrestling cannot be done if you're living a defeated life. That's why you first have to take that time and 
and surrender and give your priorities to the Lord and let the Spirit of God lead you through His Word. And then the Spirit of God will give you the power to be able to bear the burden in that uh, spiritual intercession. G. Hanley Mool, the godly uh, uh, expositor of the 1800s said, but it is, it is to be much feared that the wrestling and the painstaking of Epaphras are not abundant in proportion, speaking of his day, and we cannot possibly do without them. Let us pray that we can pray. Let us give our hearts no rest till we know what it is to do what Epaphras did for the converts of the, converts of the Lysus Valley. He bore their souls upon his soul. He yearned with the deepest longing that they might be holy in the sense of a single-hearted and thorough loyalty to the Lord. And he carried this yearning continually and urgently to God in Christ, resolved to reach Colossian lives by the way of the throne. And so God was able to do that in his life because he was surrendered. And so there should be an unwavering commitment to prayer. I already alluded to it. Prayer is accomplished by a firm decision. Samuel said, moreover is for me, God forbid that I should sin against you in ceasing to pray for you. Uh, we have to decide, like 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. You know, it's very interesting. You've heard much about John Hyde, the missionary to southern India, and uh, his tremendous prayer life. But you know where that started? His commitment to win souls to Christ. When he started, uh, made the deep commitment that he wanted to win somebody every day, he knew he had to pray till he got the victory. And guess what? He saw somebody saved every day. Then he went to two. And he went on up to five. Can you imagine that? And it shouldn't surprise us, revival broke out in southern India. <laughs> that kind of prayer. Where did that come from? A full commitment. Uh, getting Christ's heart. So oh, that's just too, I just can't imagine my, no you can't imagine, I can't imagine myself humanly. But friends, that man and many others are no different than any of us. Epaphras is just one of us. It's what we choose to do. That's what we choose to be. So we have to depend upon the Spirit of God, praying in the Spirit, as Ephesians 6.16 says. Let me go to the final point here as we conclude. If we do sacrifice and we're willing to intercede like he did, we will advance the cause that, that is so desperately needed. Don't you want to see God do something in these days? Don't we give lip service, Lord, give us revival? I think everybody here wants to see God mightily work. Wouldn't you be thrilled? Wouldn't you love to see things turn around? Folks, it's got to start with us individually. Meeting with God. Putting God first. Being willing to let Him put the burden on our hearts as we intercede. And then to make the decision to be the person. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Going back to verse 12, he was praying why that, that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He was absolutely given to the multiplication principle. He knew that if the people of Colossae would stay on the cutting edge of living for God and would not be thrown by some of these satanic deceptions within Christianity that would take away their zeal take away their faith, 
undermine what it meant to really live a godly life. And by the way, folks, we have that swimming through evangelicalism all over the place. I mean, every direction you go, there are things trying to undercut us just simply believing God. Folks, not everything on the Internet is true. You know, theology, uh, Internet theology can be very suspect, folks. Okay, be, be very careful. Um, here's theology. Stay with a simple interpretation of the Word of God. You cannot lose. Certainly there are great helps to it. Uh, but he was so burdened about that, and that's why he was praying. He wasn't praying just that they would be mature for their own sake. They would stand perfect, complete in the will of God. What's the will of God for them? To have the same kind of heart that he had. You see, that region would be reached if those people would stay in a full, complete walk with God. And he didn't want anything to happen. And I'll tell you, prayer makes the difference. I love the story of uh, the man that took over for Hudson Taylor, D.E. Host, who wrote Behind the Ranges. You probably know the story. Uh, the villages he was working with on the one side of the, uh, of the uh, mountains were doing okay, but the villages that he couldn't get to very often were just exploding with God's power. And he tried to figure out what the problem was, and then the Lord showed him. You're desperately praying for those villages over there because you can't get there, but you're not praying for these folks. <laughs> prayer made the difference. And, uh, and so we need to realize that. But we need to let God use us to proclaim Christ. We need, it needs to be a way of life, folks. It needs to be a sacrificial commitment. Now, why did I spend 99% of the message on prayer? It'll end up being just about 2 or 3% of the message on outreach. Outreach comes out of prayer. You wonder why you're defeated? Honestly, I know my life. Out of walking with God comes the heart for others. And it needs to be a way of life. Now remember, the first 400 years of the church, there was no great leader or preacher that, that we look at. There were some leaders, but not one that you would look at as the key to the tremendous advance of the gospel. Christianity conquered the world by just us. Just Epaphrasus. Just people. They went out and did what they're supposed to do. And the Roman Empire came to its knees. Don't look for a big uh, evangelist that can fill a football coliseum today. We need churches filled with spirit-empowered laborers who love Jesus and are advancing the cause, who, are go who proclaim uh, Christ fervently. Philip Schaff, the famous uh, uh, historian, said, while there are no professional missionaries, speaking of the first uh, uh, centuries there, giving their whole life to specific work during those days, every congregation was a missionary society and every Christian believer a missionary, inflamed by the love of Christ to convert his fellow men. Every Christian told his neighbor, the laborer to his fellow laborer, the slave to his fellow slave, the servant to his master and mistress, the story of his conversion as a mariner tells the story of the rescue from the shipwreck, and on he goes. And then that will lead, when people are saved, to discipling the Christ life, which is what he's talking about here. Whom we preach, 
speaking of Christ in us, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now look with me at the last verse and we'll conclude here. How would you like this to be said by the Holy Spirit about you? For I bear him record, which means this is completely true because this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that he hath a great zeal for you. I would love for myself and all of us church to be able in these following weeks for the Holy Spirit to say, I bear record. They have a great passion for me and for others. It's true. It's real. It's genuine. That's when great things happen. It isn't one person. It is when a group of people live the Christ life, know Him, and are willing to be used of Him. It's that deep commitment. And if we will, God will work. Let's bow for prayer.